0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: You You, might get sprayed again. Hey, Mike. Hey, Hey. Hey, bro. bro. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Give me a
2: hands. Mom. Mom. Give me your hands. Give me. Okay. All right. All right. Give me a fucking
1: hand. Give me a hand. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> all right. What? Huh? Mike, give me your hands, hey, hand, bro. Right. Give me a all right. oh. What's up? Spray your ass again. Mike,
2: hey, give me your hands, bro. All right, all right. Spray. All right. Give me your hands, bro.
0: Oh, shit. Right. Give me your hand. Oh, shit. That is the sound of Tyree Nichols being beaten to death by five police officers in Memphis. And that is from the body cam footage that was released last night in Memphis. And today, here on the Chris Spangle Show, we're going to talk a little bit about this and Paul Pelosi and the power of video to clarify things in what I would call a, I don't know, a post-truth world (laughs) where everything's up to your own interpretation. And the video that you just heard is uh, around 100 feet away from Tyree Nichols' mom's house where he lived in Memphis, Tennessee where he was on his way home. Uh, He had previously been stopped by the police for reckless driving, and they pulled him out of the car. He kept asking what he had done. They didn't tell him, and three to four police officers proceeded to beat the hell out of him. Uh, He was not complying, according to them, but they had the clear advantage over Tyree Nichols, and... Uh, had him subdued basically on the ground. Although it, and at one point he's flat on his stomach and they're yelling, get on your stomach. And they continue punching him. So then he gets up and starts running away and runs towards his mom's house towards safety. And then he's caught up again by those police officers who then uh, f- for minutes have him on the ground, have him handcuffed, are pepper spraying him All while yelling, give me your hands, give me your hands. The video just doesn't make any sense other than Tyree Nichols did not comply. He did not obey police officers. And because he did not obey, it was a capital crime. So let's start with the timeline of Tyree Nichols and uh, talk about Let's start with actually who Tyree Nichols was. Um, He was uh, the father of a four-year-old kid. He uh, was the baby of his own family. He was born 12 years after his closest siblings. And he had moved to Sacramento, California for opportunity uh, just to go to California. But at the beginning of the pandemic, he ended up moving back to Memphis and decided that California was too oppressive, (laughs) believe it or not. Uh, I'm trying to find the article here where he talks a little bit about that. So this article from the New York Times says, But for Mr. Nichols, it was California and its high costs of living that had begun to feel oppressive. In early 2020, Ms. Paxton said he set out for Tennessee to find a way to make ends meet, becoming part of what scholars have called a new great migration of black Americans back to the states of the old Confederacy for more liberal areas. He wrote on his Facebook page, At least things are affordable here. Okay jobs with decent pay. Cheaper registration fees And cigarettes that aren't $10 a pack LOL Now, reference there is Ms. Paxton She's 28 She met Mr. Nichols when they were teenagers And they were both involved with the California youth ministry And they were trying to give teenagers an outlet that wasn't the streets She recalled how she first bonded with him in a car As they had to do a church event And they were both wearing green shades And he was the DJ for the ride And loved all kinds of different types of music He celebrated the fact on his social media that he'd returned to Tennessee and wrote, "And his friend said that he felt the presence of the creator out in Memphis more than he ever had. The nature, the people, it's just a different world than Sacramento, California. Nichols was an avid photographer that night. It's believed that he was out at the park in Memphis taking pictures of sunsets that he would post on his page, and he had just gotten a job at FedEx, which... State Representative Joe Towns Jr. says is like a, in Memphis, that's their headquarters, so a FedEx job is like getting a job at the post office in the 70s or 80s. It's a crucial engine for economic sustenance and mobility for black residents across the spectrum, the New York Times writes. And that night, he was headed home on Saturday night to enjoy some sesame chicken with his family after... uh, being at Shelby Farms, taking photos. Uh, He was uh, actually thinking of becoming a police officer, his friend Ms. Paxton said. Um, Mr. Nichols, the New York Times writes, of her statements, was wary as a black man of the police. His social media posts show that he identified with the Black Lives Matter movement and harbored a mistrust of prevailing government and economic systems. And yet recently, Mr. Nichols had considered becoming a police officer. He was talking about how maybe that would be the easiest way to change things in the system by becoming the system. Tyree Nichols was very devoted to his family. He actually had a tattoo of his mom, uh, had her name tattooed on him. He uh, was the father of a four-year-old back in uh, Sacramento and was always trying to raise money to fly his son out and visit his son. Uh, He was devoted to his church. He ran a local youth group and uh, would meet at the skate park for pizza, and would run a Bible study on Thursdays and would attend with his friend, and one day the group watched a sermon about how the world is filled with distractions. Jenk said Nichols was so moved by it that he pulled out his flip phone and dropped it in a cup of water. Um, So by all accounts, from everybody that is in—now, I'm sure he had his flaws— Uh, you know, I'm sure right now the Daily Wire, some conservative media outlet is trying to pull up every wrong thing he's done, and the New York Times is telling me every good thing he's done, but by all accounts from his family, his friends, the people that got Starbucks with him every single morning, he seemed to be a very nice 29-year-old man who, uh, was just trying to find his way in the world still, and on January 7th, he was stopped by officers of what's called a Scorpion unit. Now in Memphis, it's in the top 10, it's 10th in 2022 for murder rates in the United States. Actually you I don't you may be surprised to know that Chicago's not in the top 10. So the top 10 um, in murder rate is Jackson, Mississippi, New Orleans, Birmingham, St. Louis, Louisville, Baltimore, Baton Rouge, Detroit, Cleveland, and Memphis. So Memphis uh, created this new unit called the Scorpion Unit, and the Scorpion Unit's job was to uh, basically, I don't know if you've seen the HBO show uh, about Baltimore, that it's not the, it's called We Own the City, it's uh, basically a follow-up to The Wire and all the things that were implemented in The Wire and how it kind of eventually devolved into this special unit that was a gun task force, basically. And so what a lot of police departments will do, they'll create these task force, tax, uh, I can't say it right, task forces that will focus on guns and especially high crime areas of their city in order to get the crime rate down. I mean, I don't think it's any shock to anybody that's paid attention to the news but people in blue cities especially are undergoing a, a high crime wave and uh, police are struggling to respond because they can't or won't do things the way that maybe they did let's take Giuliani's era of New York City New York City was one of the most violent cities in the world in the 1970s and then in the late 80s, early 90s, Giuliani comes in and starts introducing things like stop and frisk and the broken windows theory. But there's obvious problems with that. You know, stop and frisk, for instance, it is, it's tossing citizens for doing nothing, you know, for, in this instance, who knows if he was driving recklessly. Maybe he was going 20, 30 miles over the speed limit and was pulled over. We don't quite know that at this point. Uh, reckless driving was the cause, but, I mean, we're all libertarians here. Cops, are, especially in these units they're, that are incentivized to get numbers, don't always go by the book. And it sounds like this particular unit of guys did not do that. There's another—the attorney for the family uh, had found someone else— who had been stopped in a similar manner and had been shouted uh, obscenities at and had been tossed, basically, for a similar thing. And it was these same five guys. So these guys make up one of the three teams of these Scorpion units. And their job is basically to go out and get numbers. Bring in drugs, bring in guns, bring in cash, create stops, and drive down the crime rate by going after the people who are perpetrating most of the crimes. Okay, but... They tend to focus in black neighborhoods, so that creates a lot of it, it, it's. It's a hard position to be in for mayors and uh, police departments and regular citizens, right? Because if you're in one of these high crime areas and you're unable to move out and subject to the crime that is increasing over the last three or four years, you want police. But then the police come in, and people like Tyree Nichols, who are doing nothing wrong, are targeted. I, I don't know that there's an easy answer on that. Uh, the Scorpion Unit in Memphis is is has been touted as a huge success over the last year and a half, but you know maybe disbanded after this. Now for the for the police officers uh, that are involved in this, not a lot is known about them. One of them. Uh, were actually, uh, so the the police officers are Tadarius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith. Now, they've all been charged with second-degree murder, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, official misconduct, and official oppression, which I did not get a chance to look into. I don't know exactly what official oppression is. I've never heard that particular one. But a grand jury returned indictments on all of them. Now, uh, J- Bond has been set for Haley and Martin at 350000 and 250000 for Bean Mills and Smith. So it sounds like Haley and Martin are particularly the most egregious in this. Uh, one of these police officers um, was actually... Uh, a corrections officer, Demetrius Haley, one of the guys at the 350,000 level in a 2016, a lawsuit by an inmate at the Shelby County division of corrections claims that the th- three guards, including one by the name of Demetrius Haley had beaten him up. The inmate told NBC news that he had been trying to hide a contraband phone the moments before officers strip searched him, uh, two officers, including Mr. Haley began punching Mr. Sledge and a third officer picked him up and slammed him down according to the handwritten complaint now most of these officers had come on to the force in after 2017 and were fairly new um and they all joined the force between 2017 and 2020 so fairly new officers uh in involved in this unit all five of the officers are black the victim is black that has Really sort of messed up the narrative uh, for a lot of folks. Uh, Van Jones, uh, who I'll read you a little bit of his article here, just some of the highlighted pieces. Opinion on CNN by Van Jones. The police who killed Tyree Nichols were black, but they might still have been driven by racism. Um, let's hear him out first. One of the sad facts about anti-black racism is that black people ourselves are not immune to its pernicious effects. Society's message that black people are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive. Over many decades, numerous experiments have shown that these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white. Self-hatred is a real thing. That's why a black store owner might regard customers of his same race with suspicion while treating his white patrons with deference. Black people can harbor anti-black sentiments and can act on those feelings in harmful ways. Black cops are often socialized in police departments that view certain neighborhoods as war zones. In those departments, few officers get disciplined for dishing out street justice in certain precincts, often populated by black, brown, or low-income people, where there is a tacit understanding that the rulebook simply doesn't apply. Cops of all colors, including black police officers, internalize those messages— and sometimes act on them. In fact, in black neighborhoods, the phenomenon of brutal black cops singling out young black men for abuse is nothing new. Back in 1989, the rap group N.W.A. highlighted the problem in their anthem, um, in which Ice Cube rapped, But don't let it be a black and white cop, because they'll slam you down to the street top, black police showing off for the white cop. He continues, When it comes to police violence, race doesn't matter, but possibly not the way you think. At the end of the day, it is the race of the victim who is brutalized, not the race of the violent cop. That is the most relevant in determining whether racial bias is a factor in police violence. It's hard to imagine five cops of any color beating a white person to death under any similar circumstances. And it is almost impossible to imagine five black cops giving a white arrestee the kind of beating that down that Nichols allegedly received. Would five black cops beat a white suspect the way that Tyree Nichols was beaten. I would argue Van Jones absolutely yes. Um, I, 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 I'm i willing to kind of entertain his points here um, by all of my experience and reading and talking with people. Cops tend to look at these more violent areas as war zones. Part of that is borne out by experience, and part of it is... Cultural within the department, so I think he's he's largely correct on that part. I don't buy the theory that po- police officers just pick and choose. Um, the The mentality that I see in this particular instance, race isn't playing a part of it. Obedience is what they're after, uh, and I think that desire, demand for respect and obedience to their power is the part that is uh, deeply internalized. And that would be applied to anyone. Um, But, you know, these areas where cops are more violent, it it is high crime, black and brown areas. So I I do agree with him on that. Um, Because if you watch the video, uh, you know, talking with someone this morning, they're like, well, he didn't comply. What kind of crazy person doesn't comply with the cops when you get pulled over? By the way, this is the most non-compliant person in my life. This person, I'm not going to identify them, but this person doesn't go by any rule at all. (laughs) But this guy needed to obey the cops, and he's just stupid for not doing that. Um, On what planet is disobeying a cop grounds for being killed? Like, when you see the videos, and I watched all... I think of four versions of the body cams and watched all the footage uh, before doing this. From the moment the man is pulled out of his car, they are overbearing, aggressive, and violent towards him. On what planet is just complying with people, you are complying and they are beating you? It is completely rational to run away from psychos like that. Having, having a badge grants you a special certain amount of rights, which also mean that you're held to a higher account. You're held to a higher standard. Because the state gives you the ability to dish out violence, it means that you are then also held to a higher account. Um, because you have the, the power, you also have the responsibility. And from the beginning of these stops, if you watch the video, they are abusing their power, they are abusing their authority. And Tyree Nichols running away from these police officers is completely rational, trying to run to his parents' house, and and gets about 100 yards away before they start beating the hell out of him again, and saying for the cameras, give me your hands, give me your hands, when it's obvious in the video that they have his hands, he is subdued throughout almost the entirety of the 20 minutes of video that you have across the different cameras. There's no point where this man is a violent threat to these police officers. It's just not. So to say that he deserved what he got because he wasn't compliant is just insane. It's you literally buying into the, the bullshit that is on these cameras of them saying, give me your hands, when he's being beaten with a baton, pepper sprayed, and handcuffed and they're yelling, give me your hands, when it's obvious the man can't fight back anymore because he's been beaten to a pulp. He's been, he's being kicked. Uh, it, it's just a nonsensical position to take that Tyree Nichols in this encounter. It's like Philando Castile. Like, at no point is Philando Castile a threat to that officer, and yet he's shot by the officer, right? Uh, it, it's just, It's sort of these instances where your conservative friends sort of show their true colors of licking the red, white, and blue boot. uh, The the blue and black and blue boot, excuse me. So let me give you the timeline of exactly what happened here. Uh, About 8.24 p.m. on January 7th, uh, they stop Tyree Nichols at a traffic stop. This is a timeline put together by the New York Times that I'm reading from, to give them credit. Um, so as officers wrestle him out, he's heard saying, I didn't do anything. And the Memphis police department initially said that Mr. Nichols had been stopped on suspicion of reckless driving. However, the Memphis police chief, uh, Sherilyn Davis said in an interview with NBC that the department had not been able to confirm why he had been stopped. Now this police chief, uh, I'll I'll talk about her a little bit. Better. I I think the response from Memphis largely should be uh the template. And uh see the thing with body cameras is that body cameras are very expensive. They're very expensive for departments. Um, because if you've got one for every cop, you know, in this instance you've got ten body cameras that they're they're pulling and it's over twenty minutes. But those body cameras are active the entire time. Now, except when they don't work, wink wink. Um, In this case, they they were on and active. Surprise, surprise. Uh, So a lot of times they somehow just manage to malfunction during incidents that are bad for cops. But the storage that it takes online to keep all of this footage in perpetuity is very expensive. So smaller departments can't afford it uh, because it's quickly becoming one of the biggest expenses that police departments have. But as storage becomes... uh, Easier and less expensive. I think you'll see more police departments kind of uh dealing with that. But uh I think the police chief has largely acted well before the incident. But I think there's going to be some questions asked from the police chief and the mayor about who was actually kind of watching over these units and who was holding them accountable and what kind of training did they have because the training here was very poor. Um, so, 825, the first struggle occurs, and Mr. Nichols flees. Several officers try to forcefully pin Mr. Nichols to the ground, shouting expletives and threats. You can hear him saying, okay, I'm on the ground, and you guys are really doing a lot right now. I'm just trying to go home. Second later, officers appear to use a stun gun on him. He breaks free and starts running south on Ross Road with at least two officers chasing after him. That's 825. 829, backup arrives. Two police officers arrive at the intersection. The officers ask for his location. An officer on an audio recording from the Memphis Police Dispatch Center can be heard asking for backup. Any other Scorpion car, pull over to East Rains and Ross. We have run, one running on foot. It's interesting that he asks for people within his unit and not anybody. Uh, 833, officers beat Mr. Nichols repeatedly for about three minutes. One of the four videos released by the Memphis, a city of Memphis, Um, It's probably the one you've seen. It's up on a pole camera. And uh, the body footage at this intersection, the body cam footage is not great, but you can see in one of the body cams the camera that's kind of up on a light pole that captures most of this. Uh, Officers slap and push Mr. Nichols, who screams, Mom. His His mother's house is 60 yards away. A police officer sprays Mr. Nichols in the face with a chemical spray, yelling, Give me your hands as Mr. Nichols tries to wipe his face. Totally normal reaction. You get hit with pepper spray, and you're trying to wipe your face. <laughs> and they're saying, give me your hands. Um, all right, all right, he says, and moves to put his hands behind his back. Watch out, I'll spray your eyes again, one officer, as he sprays Mr. Nichols another time. By the way, you don't, like, they're kind of spraying it willy-nilly, and one of the body cams, I mean, the cops are all choking from the pepper spray. Pepper spray, does not just, it's not like a laser-guided missile right to the perp's face it goes into everybody's face Uh, two officers pin Mr. Nickel while a third kicks him near his face at least two times hit him one officer yells as another circles Mr. Nickels beats him with a baton the struggle continues for several minutes as officers shove and drag him at least one officer punches Nickels in the face who is now standing several times in the head why is he standing okay so if I were um One of my police officer friends listening to this, I think that they would rightly say, we have a guy that we have not subdued. We have not been able to go through his pockets. We have no idea if he has something that could hurt us. We have to subdue the suspect. Okay, I totally understand that. I totally get that. But every law enforcement person that I've seen on television talking about that Says the amount of force that you could use in that situation that would be excusable was not used in this particular instance. Based on these videos, they may they they have their body weight on on him at several points. Uh, they have control of him, and you using a baton on somebody and standing them up so you can sucker punch them having him on the ground in cuffs and kicking him in the face, that's where the level of force becomes excessive and criminal. Now he staggers around, restrained at both sides. This is again at 8.33. Uh, And then they pin him face down. He remains there for two minutes. Throughout the struggle, Nichols appears to have been kicked violently at least twice in the face, beaten three times with a baton, Sprayed in the face twice with chemical with a chemical and punched in the head six times, all within the span of three minutes. That is when the um he he died three days later because of those three minutes. About 837, Mr. Nichols is handcuffed and immobile and critically injured. Officers drag him to a nearby car, prop him up in a seated position, at one point, Nichols slumps to the ground and officers prop him back up against the car. So he is clearly worse for wear, clearly not able to sit up, and not in good condition. Uh, 8.41, medics arrive, 16 minutes past before first aid is provided. Now this is something that uh, a lot of people are asking questions about and wondering why. Because two medics arrive on the scene a few minutes after Mr. Nichols is placed against the char- car, check on him, but they don't appear to be in a hurry. 16 minutes later, medics appear to open their medical bags for the first time and provide aid. Minutes later, officers bring in a stretcher and an ambulance arrives at 9.02. In total, he remains at the car for more than 24 minutes as officers walk around. He's taken at 9.18 to the hospital, about six miles away, due to shortness of breath, which is why they took him. An autopsy report later found that he suffered excessive bleeding caused by a severe beating. Uh, Now, after that, five police officers involved are fired and uh, so I just gave you the details of January 7th. So on January 10th, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation announced that Nichols had succumbed to his injuries and died and on the 14th, his family held a memorial service and released a balloon in his honor. Um, The first protest is the 14th, seven days later. January 15th, The Memphis Police Department announced that internal administrative investigations were underway, and on the 16th, uh, his family retained prominent civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who represented the families of Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, and called for the police, uh, the police to release the body cam footage, um... On January 18th, the U.S. Department of Justice announced that it had opened a civil rights investigation into Mr. Nichols' death and was coordinating with the FBI's Memphis field office. What role do the feds have to play in these sorts of things? So, in the system of representative government that we have, it is set up with a lot of checks and balances. And the role of the Department of Justice has been traditionally, especially over the last 150 years, to Make sure the good old boy network is in check. That local, uh, that a local DA, a local police chief, a local whatever is going to abide by the law and the civil rights of the victims, uh, and ensure that justice is actually done. It's a, it's the federal government's check and balance on local police, um, just as it goes the other way. So in Illinois, they're trying to enact. Gun legislation, and several dozen sheriffs are saying they're not going to comply. So, uh, January 20th, the Men- the Memphis Police Department said five officers had violated the police department policies in connection to Mr. Nichols' death, including police policies governing excessive use of force, and all officers were fired um, uh, on January 20. They had a duty to intervene and a duty to render aid to uh to Sheriff's uh, department folks were put on leave today because after watching the footage, uh, the sheriff's department of the local county had two deputies there who did not intervene, and they're put on administrative leave. January 23rd, uh, I'm recording this on the 28th, so five days ago, uh, his family saw the body footage and compared it to the Rodney King beating. January 24th, Preliminary findings of an autopsy commissioned by Mister Nichols' family showing that he suffered excessive bleeding caused by a severe beating. His family showed a photo of him. I mean, he was unrecognizable. I mean, his face was swollen. He was bruised. Uh, it didn't look like the young man that you see who was six. I think he was six three, like hundred and forty pounds or something ridiculous. He was incredibly like thin, and he he just. I mean, he he looked like he had been in the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime. Um, the Memphis police chief, Sherilyn Davis, condemned the video on January 25th as a, quote, failing of basic humanity in a video statement. Other Memphis police officers were still under investigation for policy violations. Noting the significant public interest in the release of the video, the U.S. attorney for the Western District urged citizens to react in a peaceful and nonviolent way. Uh, January 26th, two days ago five fired police officers were arrested and charged with second degree murder and the other charges i mentioned earlier and the video was released last night after 6 p.m uh n- there were protests across the country uh not significant violence um i don't know if the npr uh Style guide has been updated, but if you go to NPR's website and look, it's mostly peaceful protests across nation. They never say protest anymore; they say mostly peaceful protest. And I don't know if that's like a troll to get clicks or what, but like just call it a protest. I think everybody at this point knows uh, that a a protest includes peaceful people who are there to protest and. 20-something college dropouts who just got fired from barista for quoting too much Marx, like, who are there to fuck shit up and have their bandana on. Like, I think we all know that's what a protest means now. Like, you don't need to tell us that it's mostly peaceful protests. But I see that phrase being used in the media. Not, like, it was laughable in 2020 with the reporter standing in front of it with with the fire behind him. Uh, and now we're taking the thing that was laughable and turning that into a phrase to own the cons. I don't. I don't quite get that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think the actions of the police chief, the district attorney, the mayor, the citizen—you know—the like everybody was kind of in agreement here. Like this is incredibly bad. These guys need to be charged. They need to be fired. We need to move swiftly. There wasn't any, we're putting them on an administrative leave. We're, all this is pending an investigation that will last two years that'll turn up nothing because we hope that the poli- people forget. I mean, action was pretty much taken, you know, this was, this all happened within a month. And now these guys go to a jury and a, jur- a grand jury found them uh, worthy enough to be charged, which if you don't know what a grand jury is, it's a prosecutor basically taking information to a group of citizens and then the citizens then decide if the the chart based on the evidence if the charges uh should be uh set and so it's it's kind of a way to take it away from one person's discretion and put it into the hands of 12 other people um or multiple peoples it depends on the state's laws and and their grand jury system but um now these guys get to go to trial uh second degree murder basically in tennessee's laws says that they it was premeditated murder that they when they pulled this guy over they intended to kill him so i think uh that that's probably not gonna stick i can't imagine that that would stick i don't if i were on the jury i wouldn't think that um and that's one of the issues with these cop killings is is that the DA will overcharge and then lose. And then the police go, the police officer goes free. Um, and part of that is maybe the good old boy network. And the other part of that is maybe the DA wants to, uh, satisfy the public by going for like a, a, a big charge. Cause they want to see them get locked up. So I don't know. I mean, that's, could be the case i think that was i think that was maybe what happened in the brianna taylor situation just sparked a memory but i don't quote me on that um but i know that 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 is a trend of kind of overcharging the police second degree murder is probably not the right charge but hey what do i know i'm a podcaster in indiana and they're district attorney's in uh, tennessee so um it's just the trend i see i'm just articulating that so i i think uh, to summarize, the reason you're not seeing a lot of protest is that the Memphis uh, power establishment has taken this seriously, is acting, you know, on it quickly, and uh, they're they're serious about it. And so people are, and the family basically said, "Please protest, but no violence. We don't want it to become about the violence. We want it to be about, you know, what's right and wrong here with these police officers." Um, you know, that matters, I think, to regular people that want to go out and protest. That does not matter to communists that want to just go burn things down because they're sociopaths. Um, so good on, on Memphis for, uh, getting on top of this and, you know, take a look at these scorpion units. So, all right, when we come back, I, 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 but, uh... You know, the point of this episode really is how important video is. I should probably make the point here. The, the point is that video is very important in this day and age. Uh, and I think even more so in the Pelosi story that we'll talk about next. Um, but, you know, we, we have a tendency of a thing happening. Um, like in the Pelosi story, X happens... Why reports on it? The NBC reporter that got fired for reporting on Pelosi supposedly fed the trolls, so NBC fired him. Turns out the reporter was completely accurate and shouldn't have been fired. Um, But little strings of something will come out and it just sort of becomes like this, you know, ever-fulfilling thing. And then the video comes out and you can sort of go, oh, okay, here's what the truth is. I think the Pelosi story illustrates that a lot better. I mean, this was... Um, you know, uh, look, the, the people like my friend who are like, I oh, probably had something in this system. And why do you run from the cops? Like, I I, I can't do anything about that guy. <laughs> like there's, he's just, you know, he's going to say what he's going to say. But like people like you and me in the middle who are just kind of waiting for facts, video really helps. Uh, you know, when you're, you're hearing activists talk about stuff and then you see what it is, and you just go, yeah, these, these cops used him as a punching bag and deserve to be held accountable. I mean, that's where video comes into play, especially in this instance. So let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back, and then we'll talk about Paul Pelosi.
1: I guess I told him to say, what is
2: this? This is San Francisco Police. Do you need help?
1: Oh, what is a gentleman uh, here just waiting for my wife to come back? Two two, twenty, three, and uh he's just uh, waiting for her to come back because she's not gonna be here for a day, so I guess we'll have to wait.
2: Zero, okay. Do you need to please fire a medical for anything? Uh I I don't think so.
1: I don't think so. Zero, oh. yeah, two, twenty three, and fifty eight
2: seconds.
1: there's the uh, um, is the capital police zero. around? Two
2: twenty. No,
1: this is San Francisco. They usually zero, protect eight, my wife. They usually seven. here. They usually here at the house, protecting my wife. Um, no, this is San Francisco police.
2: Friday,
1: October. I. I no, I understand. Eight two um, thousand
2: twenty two.
1: Okay, well. Zero two uh,
2: twenty four and what eighteen seconds.
1: Think I'm good. Uh. He thinks everything's good. Uh, I, I've got a problem, but he thinks everything's good. Oh,
2: 0220 Okay. Call us back if you need uh, your mind. No,
1: no, no. This this gentleman just uh, came into the house, uh, and he wants to wait here for my wife to come home. Zero two twenty so, uh, four
2: and forty eight. Anyway, he do told you me know? Do you know who the person is?
1: No, I don't know who he is. He he uh, uh, he zero, has this He he's telling me, me not to. Uh, he's telling me not to seconds. do anything.
2: What is your address, sir?
1: Uh, yeah, twenty six.
2: Two twenty five and zero. What is eight, your name? Seconds.
1: Uh, my name is Paul Pelosi. Friday. <laughs> anyway, this, this gentleman says that eight, uh two, thousand, he thinks that ought to, You know, two, eight, he told me to put the zero, phone zero, two, 20, down two, 20, and uh, just five, do what he said. Seconds. Okay.
2: Okay. Who? What's the gentleman's name?
1: I don't know. David's what's that? My name's David. Da- the name is David.
2: Okay, and who is 20, David? 20,
1: five. I, I don't 30, know. 20, I, 20, what's 20, that? I'm a friend of theirs. Yeah, I, I, um, he says he's a friend, but as i said, I've never But
2: you don't know who he is? 20, five, no, and no 40, ma'am. Eight seconds.
1: Okay. He's telling me I'm being very leading, so i I got to stop zero, talking to you, okay? Two, 20,
2: five, and okay. 50, you sure I can seconds. stay on the phone with you just to make sure everything's okay?
1: No, he wants me to get that all off the phone. Zero, two, 20, okay.
2: Six, okay. And zero, eight, Thank you. Seconds. Okay, bye.
0: That is the sound of Paul Pelosi, husband of Nancy Pelosi, formerly of the uh, sp- formerly the Speaker of the House. I think most of you probably know who Nancy Pelosi is, and you probably know a little bit about this story. Back in October, um, a man was in the home of Paul Pelosi. Now, depending on where you get your news, if you believed the police officers and the prosecutors and the media... A man broke into the home of Paul Pelosi. Uh, he was politically motivated, and he, uh, he he basically was trying to beat up Nancy Pelosi. If you read a lot of right-wing stuff, if that's sort of your ecosystem, then uh, Paul Pelosi was having an affair with an escort in his home gone wrong, and then they got into a lover's quarrel, And there was a lot of alcohol and uh, maybe drugs going on, and uh, the prosecutor and police and everybody was covering for Paul Pelosi because you know uh, you can get fifty people to lie on your behalf if you're Nancy Pelosi's husband. It makes total sense to me. Um, I never talked about it. I don't. I mean, like, I don't think I've ever talked about Hunter Biden. I don't think I've talked about like. I want to wait and see what comes out before I want to talk about something like I know that I'd be much more successful if I just sort of ran with my first gut but I don't think you guys want that and after the Covington kid I've just stopped doing that. Um Paul Pelosi has, you know, been arrested I think within the last 6 months for DUIs and does have an issue with alcohol apparently, allegedly. Um Paul Pelosi's like a very successful financial services guy uh, bought like I think a USFL team or some some sort of football team. Very wealthy. Um, the home that they're in is worth eight million dollars. Uh, you can Fox News accidentally put their address out on um, the the air on television, but when when I watched it released live yesterday, so I looked it up. You can't see it; it's all blurred out. But it's a very nice part of San Francisco, a part of San Francisco that I drove through and I was out there. Um, very nice house so if you just watch the footage of the body cam let me let me maybe play you a little bit of that um fox before is hilarious because they're on the attack hold on just a second let me pause this so there's two videos that come out there's the body cam footage that comes Uh. out um you know for like so there's two pieces of footage that you've got to see. And if your media outlet shows you one, but not the other, you got to question that media outlet, okay? So the first one that gets is the body cam of the police officer. Same uh, brand, by the way, Axon Body 2 in both of these cases. And so what you heard was the, the 911 call the first piece of footage is someone breaking into the house and it's this uh david depap person and he's busting in the window have our first look at the V S body cam that would be released this is the surveillance video outside the home this is fox news and that is the suspect depap and you see him, he put some items down. You see him breaking some glass and the, the fragments of glass that are, that are breaking now. Emily, talk to me about... So you see him in their backyard, apparently, busting the window with a hammer. The timestamp on the surveillance footage is five ten a.m. And then Paul Pelosi calls 911. The guy is in the house standing next to him. You're in the backyard with the pap, and he puts down his pack, and then just starts beating the hell out of the the window. Gets in. Paul Pelosi makes that call. I played you a little bit of it, but the beginning of it is very much like: Is this guy drunk? Like if I, I like people have criticized the dispatcher, but like it didn't make any sense if you listen to the whole thing. Like he's well, no, I don't need any help. Okay, then why are you calling? Well, you know this guy's here, and uh, he he just uh, do you know the guy? And the guy's like, I'm a friend of theirs. And Pelosi's like, no, he's not. (laughs) But he's very obviously scared. And he's very obviously detained. And he's very obviously trying to get his point across without the man that has a hammer standing next to him uh, not beating him to death. Uh, so But he gets his point across. Now, the timestamp, this is one thing that I have not found an explanation for. The timestamp on the nine one one calls like two ten a.m. Uh, and uh, this is five ten on the surveillance video. The body camera says nine thirty one. So, like the timestamps are off on all three, which is something that that kind of the. Well, I took a strong stance on Paul Pelosi's gay lover, and uh, now I'm embarrassed because all the footage came out, so I've got to find some way to discredit all this as a conspiracy so you don't think that i just light out of my ass. Um, the other one is, is why is Paul Pelosi holding a, his drink glass through all this? Well, I don't know. It looks like a pretty heavy piece of glass that he could use as a weapon that isn't obviously a weapon to the guy. I mean, you could smash the guy in the head. Now, this the pap guy is big and younger, and Pelosi's like in his 80s, so he probably wouldn't have gotten a good swing, but th- there are I- I'm sure there are reasonable explanations, but that is one thing that people are kind of seizing on. But you know, when the body cam first came out that's what I saw first, so let me play you a little bit of the body cam and I'll kind of describe this to you. This is again from Fox News' broadcast which was hilarious because, you know Fox News has been like, release the tapes release the tapes, release the tapes and the prosecutor and the defense all said we don't want to release the tapes, and news organizations were like release the tapes. So the judge finally said, "You know what? Let's just release the tapes." Um, and so Fox News went from this sure is suspicious to uh, hopefully you'll hear how she kind of. Uh, I mean, it was just I watched Fox News live. It was hilarious. They were like, "Imagine if this was sure." This is just very tough to watch. What a what a that's a terrible. Like, they saw the humanity of Paul Pelosi for the first time uh, and, and turned around. But this is the body cam footage. So, kind of at the door, the cop turns around, and Paul Pelosi is standing there in kind of like a dress shirt. And he has no pants. He's in his boxer shorts and has a drink in his left hand and opens the door. And his right wrist is being held by Paul Pap. And Paul DePap is about three or four inches taller than him, younger, and has a, a hammer in his right hand and has, with his left hand, Paul Pelosi's wrist. Uh, and so they answer the door, and it's very much like if you just see the body cam footage, you go, oh, maybe the right-wingers were right. Like, why did they open the door? Why are they in their underpants? What What's going on here?
1: Yeah, it literally said that. Hi. Hey guys. How you doing? How are
2: you? What's going on, man?
1: Everything's good. Hi. Hi. Drop the hammer. Um, nope. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. What is Hard going on right now?
0: So now they're trying, they're kind of wrestling for the hammer. And listen, Paul DePape has said, I was there to talk to Nancy Pelosi about the stolen election. Uh, I didn't find the audio of it, but I've heard the audio of Paul DePape kind of explaining the incident, which I'll dive into here in a minute. But he clearly is like, all right, well, I got one shot. I'm not getting it in any Nancy. Let me take it at uh, at Mr. Pelosi here. So they're wrestling for the hammer when all of a sudden the intruder swings the hammer.
2: Got him, all
0: right. So now they've kind of uh, they've run in. Uh, they've tackled the intruder. Uh, They managed to subdue this guy with a hammer in his hand. Uh, Two of them managed to push this guy to the ground, put their body weight on his back, put his hands behind their back and arrest him without murdering him. So I just want to commend those guys, uh, the two of them. You know, in in Memphis there were five, and uh, it took them 30 minutes to just... You know, subdue a guy who was mostly complying. Uh, And these San Francisco, these guys must just be like magical cops who can subdue a guy who's uh, enormous. And then you hear Paul Pelosi start snoring, which is a normal physiological response when you've been knocked out. Um,
2: Give me your fucking hand. Give me your fucking hand.
0: They're not hitting him. They're saying, Give me your hands, and they're not hitting him. That's Pelosi snoring.
1: Number, 14, number ten, go three as well. You got it.
0: three. All right. So Pelosi snoring because he's knocked out, uh, sustained a pretty bad fracture to his head in public. He's out and about. I mean, it's, I mean, it's amazing this eight-year-old guy lived, um, but had significant fractures, significant damage to his right arm, uh, and has been out in public wearing a hat uh it's pretty hard to watch it's not a great visual and uh it's very sad um so why did this guy do this so the new york times i believe it is uh kind of wrote this in-depth piece about this guy and he follows a trend uh, that i've kind of noticed because you know i was a good little bushy republican back in the day and got involved into local politics and the Tea Party, and you always kind of ran into people who were very anti-war, who were kind of like the Oliver Stone left, who are now weirdly QAnon people and pro-Trump, and that fits this guy. Uh, so Paul DePape, um, it had so I'll just kind of read just sections of this article that is kind of a an outline of who this guy is. So he, he has an interesting background, hardcore activist against the war. Then Gamergate hits, and that kind of transforms him into a QAnon person. But what you see is, like, uh, you see the mental illness. Like, this guy's not right. It's like the guy in uh, the, the shooter that just killed 10 people in California, who, who thought he was the mayor of Tokyo, right? they're not acting rational there's there's always there's just an element of danger to people who are suffering from whatever the pape is suffering from but this kind of will give you a background what his motivation was mr de pape Um, Had an obsession with video games as a boy, and and it appears to have metastasized as he grew up. According to his blog post, the online harassment campaign known as Gamergate, which began in 2014 as a backlash against female critics of the gaming industry and included misogynistic attacks and death threats, became a catalyst of his growing interest in right-wing conspiracy theories and the many rants against women he posted on his blog. How did I get into all this? He wrote in one passage. Gamergate was, it was Gamergate. He described Gamergate as a quote, consumer led revolution against communism and railed against wokeism and feminism complaints that appeared to be precursors to his later embrace of the most virulent and bigoted of online conspiracy theories. This is look, this is all through the lens of the New York times. Not everybody that plays video games is a misogynistic person. Not everybody who was, again, you know, this is a person that took it to the extremes. And, uh, you know, we're always going to have to take everything to the extreme and paint anybody who's, you know, like Harry into some sort of monster. Um, prosecutors who have been scouring Mr. DePape's copious online writings say the attack was politically motivated and that Mr. DePape intended to hold Ms. Pelosi, who was second in line to the presidency, as a hostage and interrogate her about the stolen election. Now, as a boy growing up in Canada, figures he's Canadian, he moved between coastal British Columbia and a farming and ranching community inland, and he was described by relatives and classmates as quiet and shy, uh, didn't go to his school dances, played a lot of video games, just very disconnected. In his 20s, he settled in the San Francisco Bay Area with Oxane Tob, or her name is known as Gypsy Tob. She is an activist famous for protesting in the nude, who is now serving prison time for several crimes, including the attempted abduction of a 14 year old boy. Uh, Mr. De Pape and Ms. Tobb, who was known as Gypsy, had two children together, dabbled in psychedelic drugs and occult practices, and marched against the Iraq War. God help those kids. Now, she went to jail, uh, they broke up. And over the last seven years, partly delusioned by the end of his relationship, the pape has taken a dark turn, and he lives under a tree in Berkeley, has told people he's Jesus, and uh, spends a lot more time online. He apparently goes and uh, hangs out at the library and spends a lot of time on the computer. Uh, He had tremendous anxiety, Gypsy Taub said in a telephone interview from a women's prison. He was terrified of a lot of people. Uh, she lost contact with him. He was literally afraid to say hello to people. Uh, now, in some of his writings, he talked about the traumas that shaped him. His biological father was never part of his life. Uh, feeling, it produced a feeling of abandonment and shame. His grandmother scalded him with hot water and abused him, leaving a scar on his back. Uh, worst of all, he said he was bullied in high school. This is the one that really scarred me, he wrote. That's when the wave of shame overwhelmed me. He wrote angrily about the breakup of his relationship with Traub, accused her of destroying a relationship with his children, and he suggested the chaos in the household shortly before they broke up had taken him to the brink of suicide. Now, in San Francisco activist circles in the 2000s, Miss Tob and paper were an odd match. While well, she thought the limelight at every turn sought the limelight, stripping naked at protest against the city's ban on public nudity... Mr. DePape always kept his clothes on and was often at the edge of the action, camera in hand, filming the protests. That's where you've seen the picture of him, by the way. So, you you sort of see the picture of him where he's, like, you're looking at the right side of his face and he's looking off in the distance, kind of like the super high meme guy. It's a screenshot of one of her videos. Now, Ms. Taub also drew Mr. DePape into a new age spiritual community. Called Lazarus, which claims a mystical consciousness that is channeled through the former insurance salesman from Michigan, dispensing wisdom and guidance. So, uh, yeah, go to see Lazarus, and he can sell you some insurance and and some uh, afterlife. Ms. Taub said that who who is not a U.S. citizen and was an illegal in the United States at the time of his arrest, had no outward political beliefs when they had met in Hawaii in October 2000. So that's the funny thing about this. Uh, you know, this fits into other conservative narratives, right? He's an illegal who's a street urchin who is committing violence against people, and right-wing media decided to go for Paul Pelosi got beat up by a prostitute. So, it's, it's always interesting which narratives <laughs> they run with. Uh, even then, there were signs of the type of anti government conspiracies that DePape embraced. He was a 9 11 truther. Uh, Tob was a 9 11 truther as well on pub- public TV. Um, she described the suspicion that she shared with uh, DePape that a shadow government was controlling events made of, of the people who pushed the buttons behind the scenes. And so, this is sort of the weird overlap between the new right and the old left uh, that that kind of intersection like the 911 truther, the anti-vaxer the, how how like it kind of like was a left- wing thing that sort of spread right specifically through Ron Paul uh, into the libertarian and conservative movements and Alex Jones too. So um, the New York Times continues after the Pape left the home he shared with Tob in 2015. Uh, He lived under a tree for a time and kept his belongings in a storage locker. He started work as a carpenter in 2016 when he was hired by Frank Cicerelli uh, after he found him hanging around a lumber store. They worked together for almost six years up until uh, the papes' arrest, and he helped the Pape find a a a housing, an apartment in a friend's garage. Uh, There's an apartment in Richmond that he helped get. He witnessed his friends' descent in recent years into deeper and darker reaches of the internet, becoming more isolated and falling captive to online conspiracies, like the claim that the 2020 presidential election was fraudulent, QAnon, whose adherents believe that the cabal of Democratic pedophiles was working to undermine President Trump, and Pizzagate, a precursor to QAnon, whose claim was that elite Democrats were running a sex trafficking ring of children out of a Washington restaurant. You would just talk to him about politics, and he was not rational, Cicerelli said. He just thought that one side was lying and one side was telling the truth. It was very black and white, and it was just being re- reinforced. Uh, Mr. Cicerelli took the page to Thanksgiving and Christmas meals, and that was the closest thing that he had to family in recent years. So he was disassociated, and he dealt with the feelings by basically playing computer games whenever he wasn't working. He had no friends and no social life. On carpentry jobs, he would feed birds and talk to the squirrels, Cicerelli said, and would sometimes tell him that he believed he was inside a computer simulation. Mr. Cicerelli would answer, David, well, do you want me to slap you across the face and see? So, obviously, this guy is, you know, yes, he is motivated by the QAnon stuff and that, like, wing of of things, but there's clearly, like, it's not... uh, why did he break into the pelosi's home misinformation right that he you know that she stole the election would he have found a reason to break into the pelosi's home somehow probably like this guy just seems like a very troubled guy i'm not excusing what he did at all I- i'm saying like there's shades to it right so he's not just like some trump robot hellbent on killing nancy pelosi he's got his issues and by the same token, like there is some merit that that the like the QAnon stuff drives these people to do this crazy stuff. Remember the guy in California with the van? What what was the crime that he committed right before the election? Um in the, the midterms a few years ago with like the wild white van. You know, like the like those people were going to be end up violent and dangerous against somebody. You know, in this case it just ended up being Paul Pelosi. Um, but I, I have not seen a wave of apologies to, uh, Paul Pelosi for saying that he was engaged with a lover. Um, I would love to see that. I think you, if you've said that, then you owe your followers uh, an explanation and, you know, I don't think we'll get that. You'll get, well, the timestamps are wrong, so this is fake you know, but I think it's important that if you're wrong about something, you got to say that you're wrong about something. Um, so, but kudos to body cams for kind of giving us an idea of what's going on in these situations and for kind of bringing the truth. I mean, I, I think there's going to come a time soon. I'm going to do a chat GPT show and AI show soon, but there's coming a time where, we're just not going to trust our eyes, and I think we're getting really close to that point where you can see the body cam footage, hear the 911 call of Paul Pelosi, and not see the reality that everybody else sees. <laughs> oh, this is just, uh, you know, they've manipulated this, and they've done that, and it's, like, I don't, I don't know. All I can do is just kind of tell you what what I've found and, and what I see, and, you know, uh, you you do with it what you can. All right, thanks so much for joining me. I want to thank our our patrons, uh, Jocky Dell, Lars Nordskog, Matthew Durbin, uh, Vince Peichel, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle for being $100 a month subscribers. We really appreciate you guys. Thanks to Mike O'Reilly and uh, Sky Captain for joining up on the Patreon and supporting the show over the last week. We really do appreciate that. And thank you all for listening. So if you got something out of this, please share it with your friends and we'll see you again here on The Chris Spangle Show.